The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. This morning, when we talk about judgment, um, has anyone here been judged? Who's been judged here by someone else? Does anyone here love the feeling of being judged? Okay, just making sure. Some of us do. Frank loves being judged. So everyone take note. That's Frank. Judge him. It's easy. He's wearing cargo pants today. Um, Sorry, Frank. I had to. I had to do it. I had to. Don't worry. When I'm a grandpa, I'll be cargo panting. Um, and who knows? It's come, everything comes back around because I see all these teenagers nowadays, and they're dressing like people dressed back when I was a kid. Like jeans, once again, have risen to the belly button. Weird. Um, but that's a thing. I don't know what's going on. It's 80s and 90s are coming back in style. I think that's when you know you're like, when I see fashion that I wore as a kid, like when teenagers start wearing Oshkosh Bagosh again, it's just game over for me. Uh, just more ginkgo biloba, vitamin B12, and joint juice. Uh, but judging, we're going to talk about judging today. I was so relaxed uh, this week at Long, down, just down at Longbow Key because we weren't going to take a newborn far. Uh, I want to pray, and we're going to get into this. Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 to 10 is where we're going to be if you want to turn on your Bibles and scroll there or flip there if you have the old school. Um, that's where we will be camping out. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray, I ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would teach us how to judge like Jesus, not how to judge as if we are uh, the, the Almighty, but how to judge like Jesus when he was in the flesh, to judge people and to discern rightly, to love deeply, to lift people up from where they are, not to press people down into further despair. Lord, help us to understand what biblical judging looks like. Not arrogant judging, not condemning judgment, but biblical, love-centered, gracious, merciful judging for the benefit of all involved. Lord, open this text up to us. Give us soft hearts this morning. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, here's how I know we judge people. I'm going to do a hypothetical for those of you who drive motor vehicles. If you don't drive motor vehicles, just track with me and laugh at your parents. Um, you know those turns in um, Florida. We have the left green... And then the left green light goes blank, and it's a two greens, and you could still turn left. You know what I'm talking about? You're tracking? So, so many of the turn signals here, and I'm talking like you just drive down Fishhawk Boulevard, whether you're hitting Bell Shoals or Balm Riverview or 301, whatever it is, in Florida, the left turn signal is like a three-second light. I don't know why, but it's just three cars get through, and then, then it begins. And here's what begins. This is me pulling up. I'm a calm driver normally, some days. And I'll pull up, and the cars will go through. Green light turn, green light turn, green light turn. And it's a yellow light in the car in front of me. There's just one car between me and turn freedom. And they, they stop. They stop. And it's still green to go straight, but they don't do what you're supposed to do. If you're a moral, good, decent human, you pull into the middle of the intersection, Right? And you wait for the opening where you then become Paul Walker from Fast and the Furious, rest in peace. And you just boop, and you get over. Now here's me behind the one car in Florida that does not know the pull into the intersection rule. I'm behind them. The light is going. I'm like, okay, we can turn legally. And then I start talking to my windshield like there's an intercom into their windshield. What are you doing? You can turn here. And then it escalates. If I see that 
it's going to go, and all the lights are going to go red soon, I start making faces, which is why I have tint. I have tint in my car so that no one will recognize that I'm a pastor when I'm driving. Because at this point, I'm spittling. I'm a, turn left now! And if they don't, I, don't, I never get out of my car here because you never know who conceal carries in Florida. But I'll sit there just fuming for the next one. And then when we turn into the Lowe's parking lot, I'll follow them all the way. And I'll get out next to them. I won't do anything angry, but I'll stand up like full height and just look and be like, you can go left. <laughs> now, we judge people that are dumb drivers. But what happens when, when we're the dumb driver? What happens when someone cuts you off and you go ballistic or you just gently talk to your windshield? But what happens when you cut someone else off? I think well, there's two types of people. There's the me type. If I cut someone else off, I do like the I'm bashful, like wave, like they can't see me because my car is like a limo. But I kind of wave like, oh, I'm sorry, ah, my bad. And I, I'm like asking for mercy. And then there's the others of you who, when you cut someone off, you get mad at them for being close to where you wanted to go. I've seen you guys. Like, you cut them off, and they yell at you. They wave to you, and you wave back, and you're, you're angry. Th this idea that we don't judge, that we're not called to judge, I, I just need us to be upfront. Every one of us judges hundreds of times a day. You judge people based on how they look, how they drive, how they act, how they behave. You judge your worker next to you over here. You judge your boss. You judge your employees. I judge my children constantly. We can't escape it. So the question is not, how do we stop judging? Because the Bible is very clear. We are actually called to judge people, but not in the way that the world has, has labeled it. Because here's how we judge as followers of Jesus at times. This is not all of you. I'll speak for myself. We say things like this in our brain. And my mother-in-law is here, so she'll laugh at this. Um, maybe. No pressure, Melody. We basically go around saying, I'm better than you. I'm, I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I'm faster than you. Right? Isn't that what we do? No, not really. I mean, I do that at home. Like when my mother-in-law is, um, she'll, she'll say, your kids are so, this, this baby is so cute. I'll stand there, and I'll say, Melody, what did you expect? Like, this is the moneymaker. And when she says, Jackson is so smart, I'm like, duh. He got half of my brain. Half of my brain is better than the majority of other people's. And I'm, I'm slightly joking when I say these things. But, <laughs> but what we do, we don't, we don't lift ourselves up. What we do is we press, press others down. And judgment in the Bible is never to press others down. It's to lift people up. So now... With that judgment framework and acknowledging, and maybe you haven't acknowledged that you're a judgy McJudgerson yet, but maybe you're, you're queuing to the idea that maybe I do judge people, maybe I do elevate myself, press others down to make me feel better. We need to keep that framework in our mind as we read through this morning's text. The Word. This is Jonah. He, he just preached. The Ninevites are turning. And the Word of them turning, the Word of Jonah's message, 40 days, you will be overthrown. It reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published, uh, and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Basically, he's forcing all of his animals to fast. 
Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered in sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. God's fiercely angry here. So that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. So a couple things I'm just going to point out. These are not the main point, but they're, they're worth pointing out, especially in our current political climate. Um, 1, Timothy 1, or 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, I think it might be on the board behind me, he says this, uh, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Um, followers of Jesus, we are called to pray for our leaders, not just the leaders you like, but all of the leaders. Some of you pray for the leaders you don't like, I think even more than the leaders you do like. I, I became a follower of Jesus in the late 90s, so I've prayed for Bill, I've prayed for Georgie, I've prayed for Barack, and I've now prayed for the Trumpster. I'm praying because the Bible calls us to pray for our leaders. I'm praying because, uh, not, not because they have this amazing power or authority that, that is tying God's hands, because the Bible says in Daniel 2 that God sets up kings and removes kings. I'm praying for them so that their choices, the way that they model uh, humility and service and grace and mercy and kindness, the way that they model that will shape our country. And, and right now, don't get angry. I don't need some of you thinking, well, your prayers aren't working. Because it's not, it's not about just my prayers. It's about our prayers for the people that are governing over us. And in this case, the king of Nineveh had heard what was going on amongst the people. It starts in the cities. It starts in the streets. This is where change begins. Top-down change is not very effective. Although it seems to be the model that most people want, and unfortunately it seems to be the model that, that a lot of the churches want in the United States, we want to legislate our morality so that it trickles down. That's actually not how change begins. That's not how a movement begins. You can't legislate people into a certain type of behavior. Change begins in the streets. Change begins when the people who are living and working and the educators and the painters and the musicians and the salespeople are all beginning to exude and give out a type of love and forgiveness and mercy that then goes up to and tickles the king's ear. And in this case, he issued the decree. Everyone, stop eating. We need to refocus. We need to, we need to get everything down to our most minimal state so that we can focus on God so that he will not destroy us. Now, I need you to understand that when you pray for, for anyone, you're essentially judging that where they are is not where you think they ought to be. So that's why you're praying for them. When, when you're praying for a heart change, when you're praying for an attitude change, when you're praying that I, I hope that this person can become less like this and more like that, you've executed a judgment upon them. Now, there are two ways to judge. You can judge to push someone down, or you can judge to lift someone up. You judge, example A, you can push someone down by judging when you're judging them to make them feel inferior to you. Uh, and a, a negative type of judgment is judging someone so that you are 
preventing them from having freedom, preventing them from having life, preventing them from having joy. You're trying to take those things from them, so you judge them in order to oppress them. Uh, this is, uh, I, t- I took a nap this week because it was vacation, and, um, and it was a leather couch, and I was super salty because it was just in and out of the beach all week, and I would come and I'd kind of like rent, do pseudo rinse off and just crash on the couch, and at some point, um, I'm on the couch, and it's a leather couch, so I'm already stuck to it like hot glue, and then one of my kids comes, and I'd, I remember him coming vaguely, Silas, and he's just snuggled up next to my leg. Because on a couch of any size, it doesn't matter if you, unless you have a giant couch, I'm bent on a couch, okay? So I'm bent because I don't fit on couches. So Silas just goes in the crook of this leg. And by that time, I'm really dozing off. And Silas, he weighs about 42 pounds, somewhere around there. And then Savannah comes. She's 45 pounds of just more denseness. And she lays on top of me. But at this point, I'm already asleep. I'm dead asleep. But now I've got these two heaters. One is heating my legs and my buttocks. And the other one is heating everything else, just laying face here, something. My wife took a picture because we all make the same face when we sleep. It's like this. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I woke up. And if you're a parent, you, you have this instinct. You wake up, and if your children are sleeping, you don't move because those are precious moments. Those are lottery-winning moments. If your kids are sleeping and you're awake, you don't move. So I... I woke up, unbeknownst to me, like Savannah's just here all the way down. Silas is all over my legs. So I have a decision, like, is this peaceful and comfortable enough to just savor this moment, or do I throw these kids and run for the beach? So I just stayed. And I'm thinking, I don't know if this is worth it to keep them asleep, but I don't want to wake them up and be a mean dad. And all of a sudden, like, you start to lose feeling when you're bent in a certain position, because now I'm awake. Now I know, like, I can't wiggle my feet because Silas is down there. I can't move my arms because I'm pinned fully by Savannah. All I've got are my eyeballs and a little bit of my chin. My legs are going numb. My right shoulder's going numb. I don't want to move. I feel trapped. I'm not good in crowds anyway. For those of you who have been with me in a crowd, you know, like, put people in direct vicinity of me, I'd start to get very sinful. So I'm thinking, I feel trapped. I feel oppressed. The kids got off me after they woke up. I I started waking them up um, slowly, gently, lovingly as a father. I said, get off. No, I didn't. I said, you guys, wake up. And when I got up, you guys ever had that moment where both of your feet are asleep and it feels like you're stepping on stubs of ankles? That was me. And not only that, um, my right arm, because the way it was pinned, was just numb, tingling numb. And if you don't tell me, like, you've got poor blood flow, you need something. I'm, like, basically a crab-eating vegan now. Um, but I was, like, walking on the stumps of my ankles, trying to shake out my numbness. And I, I couldn't move for a solid five minutes. It, it felt like everything had been constricted. When, when you judge people negatively, you are, you are, you're doing that same thing to their emotions and to their soul, to their mental capacities. You're constricting them. You're preventing them. This is what it means, and this is what people say when they talk about Christians being judgmental, being constrictive, condemning, trapping, being people who who press down life instead of lift up life. But there's a positive way to judge, a, a beautiful way to judge, and that is to see someone in a bad situation and lift them up. Judgment is not 
antithetical to love. Love and judgment are one of these both sides of the coin things. If you love someone, you will be more likely to judge them when they do something foolish. If, if you see someone you care about making a decision that is wrecking their life, do you tell them or not? You, you tell them. If you see your spouse making a decision that is, that is going to destroy their life, take them down a bad path, if you like them, you tell them. If you don't like them, you don't tell them. That's just as simple as it gets, uh, which is why I've, I've often wondered, why did my wife let me eat so much bacon for so long? Did she not love me, or was that love? Because after I got my first little report from the life insurance we did last year, and the doctor said, you might want to watch your cholesterol. It was the first time I've, I've heard that word in my whole life. Um, my wife didn't tell me to stop eating bacon. She kept buying it from Costco the two-pound pack, just every other week, two pounds, and that's only last for two days. And I, I started to think when I was writing this sermon, does this mean she doesn't love me? Maybe she doesn't know that bacon raises cholesterol. That's what I went with. I'm believing that in my head. She just didn't know. She knew. <laughs> but my theory has always been, um, have just enough life insurance to take care of my family, but not enough to incentivize my spouse to murder. Like, that sweet spot is where I need to be. So now we're, um, we're being healthy-ish together. Now uh, we love each other because we went on vacation. That makes you love your, your spouse more. So, so we, we care about each other enough to say, you're, you're doing something that's not helpful. You're doing something that's hurtful. It's not good. That's a judgment. But the difference is, is now you say, well, what can we do to change this to make it better? What can we do because of this situation to get out of it? How can we, how can we become better human beings for Jesus? Now, I need just to say this. To, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here, um, this is for us. If your judgment of others ever has a hint of I'm better than them, that's negative judgment. If your judgment for others ever has a hint of I'm better than them, that's the negative type of judgment. Every type of judgment that we ought to have as followers of Jesus ought to be rooted in love. Now, we're going we're to walk through this verse 9 and 10 slowly. They repented because the king says, who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Um, last night, I love when God gives me sermon illustrations. Um, last night, I put the kids to bed because it's Savannah's birthday. We're setting up stuff. And uh, I heard crying from the boys' room. I said, ah, someone's injured. So I went into the boys' room, and Silas was just laying there. And usually when someone's injured, when I walk into the room, you see one kid jumping from the other kid's bed into their bed to pretend like they were doing nothing. But Silas was just covered and laying, and Jackson was just crying. And I walked over. I said, buddy, what, what is going on? Are you okay? Did you get hurt? And he said, no, Daddy, I'm just so scared that I'm going to go to hell. I said, why, why would you say that? And we've been wrestling with some things in our life because we know people now, and he's at that age where he understands like people have walked away from Jesus. And he says, Daddy, what if I, when I grow up, walk away from Jesus? What if I forget about Jesus? I said, why, why would you say that? And then he tells me why and the people we've talked about and the conversations we've had. And, and he, in that moment, Jackson was fearing God's wrath. God is angry towards sin. Not unloving, 
You're angry. You're most angry at the thing you love most. Like, so if, if you sin and God loves you and sin is hurting you, you get angry at the sin, right? If your kid's running into the street, if someone's hurting your child, you get angry at them. God, God, Jackson understood God was angry because of a future potential that Jackson might forget about Jesus. So he was, he was crying. So we start, I started quoting verses. Parents, if you ever have this moment or if you have this moment yourself, um, Romans 8 is the, one of the best chapters just to read, to talk about how there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, to talk about nothing can separate you from the love of God. And there's an old song from the 90s, for I am convinced that neither heights nor depths nor, nor angels nor principalities, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So I, I went through all those verses with Jackson, and then we watched uh, Jesus cartoons, and we prayed. But Jackson had this just fear that God could be angry if we don't follow him. The Ninevites had this fear. And, and this, is, this is really different because I don't think churches talk about this enough. God is so insanely, incredibly angry at what sin is doing in you and me every moment that it resides within us. The Bible doesn't use words just like anger. It uses words like wrath. I don't know if you use that word in your house, but for me, wrath is like the the pinnacle of anger, the ultimate anger, just I'm going to pour out. Romans 1.18 says, for the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress truth. The wrath of God is upon those who suppress the truth about Jesus. The good news is that John 3 tells us whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but the warning, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So right now, God is, in his infinite wisdom and love, looking at each one of our lives. He knows what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. He knows what you are thinking currently, what you have thought in the past. He knows the, the thoughts that have gone through your mind and the thoughts that will go through your mind. And every thought that is sinful causes God's anger to blaze because he's a good father. He doesn't want his children to be consumed by death, to be consumed by things that will rob you of joy, rob you of peace. He's a good father. So his wrath burns against sin. So he's, he's got to judge us. He says, okay, I'm going to deal with this situation. I will judge sin. Now, we deserve death and hell apart from God forever. In case you're new to Christianity, this is what the Bible, we believe, teaches. So because of that, God said, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to put all of the judgment for your sin on my son Jesus. Every thought you've had, every moment uh, of disobedience, every sexual addiction and sin, every time you drank too much, every time you gossiped, every time you judged someone else while you expected yourself to not be judged. I've got to judge all of those things, and I've got to pour out my anger and wrath upon that sin. So he sent Jesus, and the Bible says, him who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. See, Christianity isn't a game where God's up in the heavens saying, ah, oh, just come on in. You're in the family now. It's no big deal. I'll overlook your sin. God never overlooks sin. He cannot overlook sin. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if all of us parents just overlooked the sins and stupidity of our children? Can you imagine? I tried to open a light socket with a key 
when I was seven. Imagine if my mom told me, that is an okay thing to do. So she didn't. She said, don't open light sockets with keys. Those are not for kids to do. You, you use a screwdriver, and you can open the socket out properly, and you lick the wires if you want to do this right. No, she doesn't do that either. She you swats the hand away. I don't know how many times I've swatted my kids' hands away from things. I, know, I don't know if you guys are swatters. I'm a swatter. I've got long arms. So if my kid is doing something over there, I just, <laughs> sorry, splash zone. I swat, 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 swat. Am I, do, am I swatting their hands away usually because I'm mad at them? Not usually. I'm swatting their hands away because Savannah shouldn't be touching a fish fillet knife. I'm swatting their hands away because you shouldn't be sticking a metal object toward a light socket. I'm swatting their hands away because fish hooks, when they get in you past the barb, are difficult to get out. So I'm swatting. And they may think, man, that hurts. But it hurts a lot less than a fish hook than an electrocution. Now, there's a different way to be cruel. My grandfather, who passed away on my mother's side, um, military man, very for the rules and um, etiquette. I remember visiting him when I was uh, just a young preteen, and he hated elbows on the table. Now, he would take his fork and stick it into your elbow if you put your elbows on the table. Nobody told me this rule. So I went from growing up with a single mom, you kind of put your elbows wherever your elbows fit, to going to you know, Mr. Getz's house. And the first time I put my elbows on there, the fork came flying in like lightning. And I, th I thought he took flesh out of me, which made me surprised that he kept using that fork. But it startled me back. I said, Grandpa, what was that? He said, we don't put elbows on the table in this family. And I was like, I don't want to be in this family then. No, I didn't say that. I should have. I, I just was scared because it hurt. Now, why, why would somebody stab an elbow for putting it on the table? Because that home, my grandpa had his own rules. They were unspoken rules. But if you didn't follow his rules, his dictatorship, you were punished. I, if you were... If your judgment of others, if your love toward others, if, if all of the things that go on in your life are to make you the ruler, if you've set yourself up as the king of your life, then all you're doing in that moment is incurring more of God's wrath for you. There's only one way, only one way to escape the wrath of God, and the king gives us the key in this passage. What does the king do? He comes down from his throne. Christianity is so easy. If this is your throne, you come down from it. Now, the, the scary part of the king coming down from his throne and you coming down from yours is it means you give up. It means you give up the right to judge others as if you are God. Instead, you judge others from a place of love, to lift them up, not tear them down. But the question that I've always had for any of these passages in the Bible or for you, um, how good are you at staying off the throne of your life? Because sin is tricky. Like the king, you need to step down off your throne, but the problem is that there's no guarantee that the king won't crawl back up to his throne. As a matter of fact, spoiler alert, plug your ears if you're going through the Old Testament, Nineveh gets destroyed in 150 years from this story. God sends Jonah and Nineveh repents. 150 years later, Nineveh has gone back to its old ways. God sends a prophet in the Bible called Nahum, and Nineveh is destroyed utterly and completely, the greatest city in the world at that time. 
destroyed because they crawled back up onto their throne. Now, here's how it works. I want us to begin judging one another. I want us to picture in our minds three words, love, judgment, and grace. If you love someone, I want you to judge them in a way that leads them to God's grace and forgiveness so that they can understand God's love for them. When they fail again, or when you fail again, judge them, judge yourself, so that you understand God's grace, so that you can return back to God's love. This is the cycle that we call Christian growth. It's not, I feel bad about myself, so I'm going to lash myself. I'm going to feel ashamed. I'm going to sit over here and just beat myself up. I've said this, I don't know how many times in the last three years. Stop beating yourself up for your sin. Jesus was beat up enough for you. So instead of beating yourself up, judge yourself. I have done this, and this is wrong. This is destroying my life. This is going against what God has said. And God's laws and rules, they're not just there to make life unfun. They're there to make life the best it can possibly be with him forever. So you say, this is wrong. I need to come back toward grace. Last night, as Jackson was crying and we had prayed and watched some Jesus cartoons from the 90s, um, I just went through similar questions that I go through. I said, Jackson, um, are you saved because you are so good and because you can think about things and you've read the Bible? Is that why you're saved? He said, no, Daddy. I said, well, how, why are you saved? Well, because Jesus died for me. Okay, was Jesus going to undie for you? And he said, well, technically the resurrection is undying. I said, you smart aleck. Um, so I have to be very careful with my words with Jackson. And, and I just basically said, buddy, um, I need you to understand that Jesus is why you are saved and you get to be part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus living within you is now the light of God coming through you and you fearing that you will forget something in the future, you fearing that you will run away, this is a thought that we're going to bring to the judgment table and say, is this good or bad? Is this helpful or hurtful? And at this stage of a nine-year-old's life, it's hurtful. So I brought it down and I told him, I said, Daddy sometimes has these thoughts. Daddy has these thoughts of, man, what if down the road I blow it? What if down the road I make a terrible mistake? Because I believe any of us are capable of doing the most atrocious things. And you may think, I could never do this sin or that sin. That means that you're already primed to do it. Anytime you think that you are out of reach of a sin, it's already pursuing you. It's luring you in with its scent. So put judgment upon it. Judgment that leads you to recognize, I need something that, that could come down off of its throne and be faithful. Something that would come down and be perfect. And this is where grace comes in. God loved you so much that he needed to judge sin. In order to judge sin, he sent his son. Jesus came down from the throne of heaven, absorbed all of your sin for you, so that in that pool, ocean of grace, you can just sit and say, I'm forgiven and free. This is why I tell people who are stuck in sin, who are saying, how do I get out of this sin, I keep doing it over and over and over again. I, I just tell them, look, you need to go back and back and back to the grace of God. Stop making promises to God. Stop telling God, God, tomorrow I will be a better driver. I will not be angry. I will not have road rage. Stop making promises to God. God, tomorrow I'm going to be a better husband or wife or child. Instead, take what you've done that was wrong and say, God, thank you that you died for that. I can't believe you would count me as worthy and lovable enough 
that you would give your own son, that you would put my sin on him so that I could be judged as righteous, so that I could be judged as right before you. We all want to change, and I'm obsessed with change. Hopefully you know this by now. If you're planning on changing tomorrow, it's not going to work, right? How many of you have started a diet tomorrow? I'm the only one? Okay. How many of you have started a good habit tomorrow? Tomorrow, I'm going to wake up early. You set that alarm with all the hopes and dreams of a future CEO of your own business, and after you've snoozed it 37 times to get from 4.30 back to 7.30, you rush off to work where you then road rage the whole way there. How many of you have said, tomorrow I'm going to be a better husband? You know why we do that? Because we don't want to judge what we've done today. So here's an easy thing to do. Anytime you say tomorrow, just stop in your tracks and say, no, I'm putting off judgment. I just blew it as a husband. I just blew it as a wife. I just blew it as a kid. I just blew it as a human being. I'm going to change right now, and I have the power to do that because of what Jesus has done for me. He came off his throne to give me that same holy power, the power that can say I can give up everything and surrender it all to God's will. In this way, this type of love, this type of, of living life, we can begin to judge like Jesus. We can see not the worst in everybody, but we see the potential for, for, for the things that are in their lives. It's easy to see the worst in people. It's easy in this culture to judge others, to tear them down. What's hard in this culture is to judge others up. What's hard in this culture is to see where people fail and say to them, I understand that you failed here. I failed in similar ways. Let's walk toward forgiveness together and rediscover God's love. This is all spiritual growth is. We judge what is wrong. We turn to Jesus. We remember God's love. It's not about the empty promises. It's not about starting tomorrow. It's about starting right now. Some of you need to judge your own life pretty carefully today. You need to look at what is out of alignment with God. You need to see the pieces of your life that are far from God's word. Because some of you, like Jonah, you've, you've been in God's club, but you're doing all the wrong things. You're running from him. You're pursuing other things. You're living for other gods. You won't get off the throne of your life. Judge yourself today. Don't judge yourself to press you down. Don't judge yourself to feel trapped. Judge yourself to find freedom in Jesus. I love judging people. I love it. It's one of my favorite hobbies. Not judging them to press them down, but when you judge someone that's stuck in something dark and you help them come up from that, one of my favorite things, and this is maybe a very suburban sin, is um, the consumption of alcohol. Or early on here, uh, six months, year in, people at the chapel were drinking alcohol because you're adults. That's only for you adults. And, um, and some of the people got really mad at me on the leadership level. They said, did you know people are drinking alcohol? And I said, yes. I am aware that people are drinking alcohol. Do you want that type of person to be coming into your church family? And I said, absolutely, as long as they're drinking good alcohol. I don't tolerate McUltra drinkers here. And, um, and, and a group of these people were judging and saying, these people are posting on Facebook about alcohol. They're just saying right there on Facebook that they love wine, they love this, they love that. Are you okay with this as their pastor? And I said, yeah, I'm okay with it. The difference is, is that when it gets out of hand, I, I go to the people 
personally, and I say, hey, are you okay? Is, are you, have you gone too far down the trail? The difference is the people that were posting and talking about alcohol and having um, just general lively times, they were doing it, and people could see. The people that were condemning, the people that were judging them, th these were people who oftentimes struggled um, being open and honest as humans. They were drinking when they were far away. They were drinking where no one could see. They were drinking when the doors were closed. If, if you're going to sin at the chapel, I want to encourage you, like Martin Luther did, if you're going to sin, sin boldly, openly, and honestly. Because if you hide your sin forever, who's going to help you? Who's going to judge you with love out of it? But if you sin right in front of me, I'm not going to chastise you. The last time that somebody was um, in a bad spot here, people around said, aren't you going to tell them how wrong it was? Most of the time when people make a big mistake, they know how wrong it is. You just need to be there to lift them back up. This is all of what judgment entails. I would encourage you, judge one another today. Judge your spouse today. Judge them like you've never judged them before. I want you to look into their life and say, hey, babe, let's get right with God together. We're both train wrecks of humans. But Jesus loves us. Isn't that cool? This is the only week I'm giving you permission to do this. But just go do it. Judge me today. Judge my family today. Judge my kids today. Judge the worship team today. Judge each other. Judge the person who doesn't make the left turn today. Judge the person who slows down for yellows instead of does the American thing and speeds up. Judge people who drink light beer instead of dark beer. Judge people who are inside of the church and outside of the church. Judge them all so that at the end of the day, they know how much they are loved by a God who judges us only for the purpose of bringing us to his gracious arms. Let's pray. Father, uh, I am so excited and blessed that you would judge me. And because of Jesus, you have judged me and all of us who believe in you. You've judged us right because you have put my train wreck of a life on the cross of Christ, I am judged beautiful and adopted and a child. Help us, Lord, to be gracious judges today. Help us to judge in a way that frees people and not judge in a way that traps people. Help us to judge in a way that lift, lifts people up toward love and not judge in a way that presses people down toward apathy. Help us, God, to judge people like Jesus judges to bring love into their lives, to change this world one relationship, one judgment at a time. In Jesus' name, amen.